0: Responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the space show are primarily for educational purposes. We choose
1: to go to the moon in this decay and do the other That's thing. We have the
0: by a Three, two, one. It's the space show with Dr. David Williamson. One test seven continents. Consistently bringing you quality news and interviews with the best and brightest minds in the new space economy. Here is the founder and host of The Space Show, the man who best articulates the vision of space commercial enterprise, Dr. David Livingston.
2: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday Space Show program. It's February 4th. I'm your host for the day, David Livingston. Thank you very much for tuning in. 2 our open lines program so open lines means that we would like to hear from you hopefully you will give us a call at 866-687-7223 and let us know what is on your mind that phone number is currently disconnected i will tell you when i turn it on uh, as i have a couple of things to say and a few announcements to provide so uh if you get a busy signal, just wait. I'll announce again when it's turned on. Uh, today will be a full-length space show program, uh, assuming the market is there for it. And uh, hopefully uh, it is. We would certainly like to hear from as many of you as possible. Uh, some changes in the schedule coming up. Uh, there will be no program uh, on Tuesday, February 6th. So I, uh, unfortunately have some things I need to, to deal with, and the people I'm working with are only available late afternoon into the evening, so, uh, there will be no program on Tuesday, February 6th. Uh, there is a Hotel Mars program, uh, Dr. John Mankins is on. Uh, John Batchelor wanted a show on a, on a perspective of the NASA space Solar Power Report, and even though John was on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Batchelor wants him for Hotel Mars, so uh, John Mankins will be on Hotel Mars for Tuesday, and that is February 7th. Dallas Benhoff, uh, who's representing Off World Properties, is returning to us on Friday, February 9th. And now we come into another break. Uh, I'm traveling to Los Angeles on February 7th for uh, medical I don't know how to say it, medical uh, setup accounts at Cedars-Sinai as I have transferred some of my existing long-term care follow-up from the University of California, San Francisco to Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. And Cedars will take me as a patient and do the transfer, but I have to be a resident patient of their center before they can do telemedicine, meaning Zoom. So I didn't invent all these crazy rules, but I guess I have to follow them. So I will be away on Sunday the 11th, and I will not be back in time on Tuesday, the 13th, for, class, for the uh, program. So we will not have a program on Sunday, next Sunday, the 11th, or the following Tuesday on the 13th. I'm going to uh, put some suggested golden oldies up where you would normally see a summary of the space show. I'm going to talk about summaries in just a minute. And I can't tell you what I'm going to put up for oldie-goldies, they may be obscure programs that would likely never, ever get played. Maybe you don't even know who the people are. But um, to see what the recommended Oldie but Goldie show is for both uh, this coming Tuesday, the 6th, Sunday the 11th, and Tuesday the 13th, go to uh, the archive pages if you're going to read the summary of the show and, and play the archive program, and you'll see the URL and the, the date and the name and a, a brief one-liner about the topics that were discussed. And then if you want more, you can go to the actual program summary page by clicking on the link that I give you. Um, when I get back, there will be a Hotel Mars program That is on February 14th, Valentine's Day. On Friday, February 16th, John Bucknell and Ed Tate from Virtuous Solus are the guests. And then Sunday the 18th, I have a planned open lines because today was actually supposed to be a program with two people from Aerospace Corporation. They were called out of the country so I moved open lines up to today, but I may uh, change the uh, February 18th away from open lines. So when the new schedule comes out uh, later today or tomorrow morning, then uh, you will see uh, what's happening for Sunday, February 18th. And then we just go on as usual, and you'll see the programs on our schedule. February's pretty booked up. I'm booking March and April right now. So if you have guests that you would like to suggest, please send them my way. It would be great if I had their email address and a little some information about them, you know, why you're recommending them. And uh, I do have a formal invitation I send out. It's by email. So if you can provide me with an email address of your recommended guest, that would be great. And uh, I will follow up. Uh, A couple of other uh, things to talk about, and one thing is, many of you have noticed, I've been running really behind on archive program summaries. So all of the program summaries for January have now been completed, and I'm in the process of proofreading them and uploading them to the website, and that should not take me very long. So hopefully I can get through most of that today and tomorrow. I still have programs needing archives when I was running really slow and and not feeling well, even after recovery from my two bouts of COVID toward the end of last year. So I have all of the program notes, and I will be starting to do a couple of those every day until I, I get through with the list. But uh, within a couple of weeks, every show, We'll have it summary, and I'll be back on my regular schedule for summarizing shows. I summarize the shows for historical reference. So if somebody wants to go see what Joe Blow was about six months later or a year later or ten years later, there's at least something there to tell them what they discussed rather than them having to listen to the entire show maybe at two or three times the regular recording speed, but still taking the time to listen to it. I have found that most people on archives either download the program or listen off the website, but never, ever read the archive summary. And I know that for a fact because I used to put tricks into the archive summary that for sure, if you were reading it, you would email me and say, David, you've made a big error. David, you need to correct this. You need to do this. I mean, these were obvious, glaring, on-purpose mistakes or comments or word salads like some politicians like to make. I never got that feedback. So that tells me either you didn't recognize that I was spoofing the audience, that you didn't read the summaries, or that you didn't care. ...or a combination of all three... ...but you were downloading and listening to the archive show. So I've tried to shorten the summaries... ...and just the facts, ma'am... ...just the facts... ...as one of my famous old TV stars used to say. And um, But I do think it's important to have a summary... Uh, ...for the historical nature... ...if you go back to the shows a couple of years later... You, you want to know what was uh, at least the focal point of the program, uh, even if you are minus all the details. So I am getting caught up, slowly but surely, and once I get caught up, I will stay caught up. Um, there was a New York Times article that uh, Charles Lario pointed out to me yesterday. I have it printed out. Um, could a giant parasol in outer space Help solve the climate crisis. Interest in sun shields, once a fringe idea, has grown. Now a team of scientists say it could launch a prototype within a few years. The person who wrote this article, who I have no idea who she is, is Kara, C-A-R-A, Buckley, and she reported from Earth. I guess she's trying to be cute specifically New York, uh, and I guess New York is is Earth. I guess we can give it that much credit, right? Anyway, you might be able to find it without a paywall on Google. I'm not sure, but the title, again, if you do want to search for it, is Could a Giant Parasol in Outer Space Help Solve the Climate Crisis? That's a fair game article for any of you who would like to talk about it today. Um, or the, the bigger question of climate change, if you want to talk about that, that's uh, space-related. Uh, also, uh, any other topic that comes to your mind, space-related, science-related, engineering-related, or something you think important to share with space show listeners, uh, bring it on. We want to hear from you. So, and uh, again, that phone number is one 687 7223 The line is opened. You are welcome to call it. We only have one toll-free line. So if you do call and it's busy, just be patient. And uh, if your patience has been exhausted, email me at drspaceatthespaceshow.com and tell me to hurry up. You're waiting for the line. And then one other thing, if we have an interesting caller and somebody else wants to talk to that caller, um, email me and I'll give you a direct dial number where I'll be looking for your call and I can patch you through. We already do have a caller. Uh, welcome to our Open Lines program caller. Who are you? Where are you? Thank you for your call. This is Doug
3: from Edwards, California.
2: Hi, Doug. What's up? Yeah, uh, when, uh, Dr.
3: Benaroya, Haim Benaroya was on the, uh, on the space show before, I called him just briefly and mentioned about calculations that I had done in regards to just how big a, a footprint of inflatable habitat you could fit into the Starship, uh, assuming I've heard different, um, different payloads for Starship 100, 150, and most recently 250. Um, and so I did those calculations again, and I emailed uh, Heim with that, and David, I, I think I carbon copied you on that.
2: Well, I didn't get a carbon copy, but I did get an email copy.
3: Oh, okay. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, basically, the, the summary, uh, I, I, I go through, I show, I show all my work, and I show the different layers, the five different layers, and how many kilograms per meter squared each layer would be, and and I go through sort of little spreadsheet in the email, and the 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 answer is if it's a hundred um, tons payload, then you could fit as much as 1.94, basically two acre footprint. This is assuming a a three meter high um, living space. So this is this is basically like a um, you know think of it like an air mattress design where you have tethers that you know hold things flat. Um, now if it was 150 tons, then, uh, by math, you could, you could get just under three tons. I'm sorry, three acre footprint. And then if we really could get 250 tons, then that would come to five, just under five acres. So we're talking really huge, uh, habitats that could be delivered. Now that's not counting uh, internal features, you know, your 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 walls and equipment. So it's going to be somewhat. I mean, you could deliver the equipment in a separate um, a separate starship and bring it in through the through the airlock. But it gives you just some idea of just how big these things could be. And what I would say is that um, I mean, this this is the real advantage of Starship and why. Up to now, we, we haven't really been talking about habitats of, of this large a footprint, uh, simply because we've been sort of mentally stuck with dealing with, you know, 10 or 20-ton payloads, uh, but with 100 to 250 tons, it really opens up a whole new world, and not only would it be like an instant, uh, you know, initial base, but each of these habitats could be specialty hubs. so a rather large uh international base could be could be growing by delivering specialty habs that focus on just one function. Um, you know, like sort of a dorm hab or a, a kitchen hab or, or things like this. Uh you know, sort of a green hab for a greenhouse, these sorts of things. Um, and so I really think that in the early years of a base on the moon or Mars, I think inflatables really have a significant advantage, and it could be quite a number of years before it really becomes cost-effective to produce habs locally, to construct it from local materials. I know there's a lot of um, a lot of attention being given to like 3D printed uh, habitat, but when you can construct these things with uh, on the earth, the inflatables with uh, you know very strong materials that you can't really easily produce on the moon. Uh, And you can test them. You can just package them and launch them. And uh, deploying is quick, easy. It uh, doesn't require, you know, a lot of energy to center material or anything like this. Uh, I think that inflatables make a whole lot of sense for the first, um, you know, quite a number of years before it makes any financial sense to start producing things locally.
2: Why don't you post that email on the blog if you can do that, or copy it to the blog so listeners can see what you the numbers that you did?
3: Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that right now. Let me also mention that there's multiple companies who, who recognize that inflatables have an advantage. Um, we've got now these are commercial leo destination companies, but Sierra Space. David, have you seen them? They just uh, ruptured their life. Um, habitat, they overpressurized it until failure. Did you
2: uh-huh. see that video? Yeah.
3: It was sort of exciting video. So that's Sierra Space. They're, they have the Dream Chaser. Uh, and also Blue Origin on its orbital reef. They have inflatable modules. And then even Manorac, uh, proposes the Star Lab, uh, with a singular inflatable. And unfortunately, Bigelow was really ahead of, ahead of the times. Unfortunately, they they uh, went out of business. I think just uh, financially, they just didn't have their probably. I mean, it was, they sort of went out of business business when uh, when um, the pandemic got started. And I think they just ran into a, a, a probably a cash crunch.
2: Well, actually, I got but, a a story on what happened to Bigelow, which really runs contrary to that. But it's about a lot of personal misfortune he had with his family and other things and given that the business was going no place and he he didn't have ways to go to space and other things he just lost interest in it and and shut it down but uh it's not exactly the way you said it he his wife passed away and he was very upset about it and uh some other things happened and and it, it just took the sales out of his gut and then uh all that he thought was going to materialize in the agreements and stuff like that did not come about. And uh, the markets kind of passed him by. So I, the assumptions from people are that he he just let it go. It wasn't where his head was at anymore. It's really
3: unfortunate because, uh, you know, it was just at the time that, that this was happening that the, the funding for... Uh, commercial Leo destination started coming through. So, uh, yeah, uh, if only he could have maybe started later or just hung on a little bit more. I think Bigelow was clearly on the right track, I, in my opinion.
2: He had a big it, – it's not a swimming pool, but you could have used it as a swimming pool. He had a big, huge concrete hole-in-the-ground rectangle, so it wasn't really a hole. And he would take those inflatables that he had sent up there – on the Russian Dnieper rocket, Genesis 1 and 2, and the inflatables that he was designing. And he would stick them in that hole, and he would inflate them until they burst. And he was doing burst pressure tests on them, and I was out there once with a Space Frontier Foundation tour group, we had a conference in Washington, in uh, Las Vegas. And, uh, th- they had just done a burst test. We didn't see the burst test. But we we saw the facilities and the remnants of it and all of that, and this was 20 years ago. He he was doing burst tests on his inflatables, and uh, he was he was state of the art for sure. I yeah. I, I agree. I wish he had been able uh, to hold on, but you know he, he was getting up in years, and and uh, you know when you lose people you really love, it kind of knocks the crap out of you, right? So. Um, I, I understand it. Plus, the market was passing him by and the rights didn't appear and, and NASA wasn't there and, um, so he moved on. I don't know what his Genesis 1 and 2 are still in space, but I don't, I don't know that there's any more, um, uh, control or anything else coming from Bigelow Aerospace. I know they're tracked because I had, uh, Ashes of one of my dogs on Genesis two, and I still look up and and look it up to see when it's going to pass overhead. So I know it's still being tracked uh, as a as an orbital object. But um, uh, that's a sad story. uh, I wish he had been able to continue.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I I... he 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 had had real foresight in the future. He he could understand. It. In fact, he, he liked to produce these little dioramas, you know, uh, physical uh, illustrations of, like, what a surface habitat uh, using as modules will look, look like on the moon, you know?
2: Uh-huh.
3: And, and I think that's the thing that's lacking right now. Uh, there's inflatables for orbit, all based around this commercial, NASA funding commercial Leo Destination,
2: and And he had durables in his in his area where he gave us the tour uh inflatables where he had gave us a tour and some of them were real miniatures, but they were inflated to the correct pressure and and everybody was touching them and trying to press in on them like they 're inflatable like a tire or something man it was it was hard as steel i mean i don 't remember what his fabric was, but it it was woven over and over again and and you couldn't, you couldn't push it. I don't know how much pressure it would have taken to try to push it like a tire tube or something like that. That thing was, was really, really solid. And if you didn't know it was an inflatable, you would probably think it was a solid mass. I mean, it, it was an amazing material. So I think he was state of the art at the time and, um, and very impressive if you ever got a chance to see his, his grounds in North Las Vegas, they're still there. It's just boarded up. Yeah,
3: uh, early in my state safety career, I was passing through Los Angeles. I actually found out where where the place was, and I, I contacted them to see, hey, could I get a tour? And like, no, we don't get to her. So that just wasn't going to happen.
2: <laughs> no, you have so to be with the- a conference or something, and, and he gave the – he was he was a supporter of space frontier foundation obviously and so he allowed the space frontier foundation to have a tour and they chartered a bus we didn't drive our own cars out there and uh people who wanted to go from the conference could go out to uh, north las vegas to to his offices uh, but we were a group and of course we were escorted through everything but uh it was it was really something i suspect you could take a pistol and shoot into a fully inflated one of his inflatables, and the bullet would not penetrate it. That was probably but, the question but, they asked him. And I and I'm sure he answered it, but I don't I don't remember it being specifically a question or his answer. Anyway, um maybe he's listening and he'll call. He he enjoyed his one appearance on the space show. So Yeah. <laughs> oh man it would be great to uh maybe to I'll have play, him on. I'll play Bigelow as a – that's a good idea for one of the archives when I'm out of town because uh, he was only on the show once. He was on for nearly three hours. So I'll play his archive for one of the programs. Mm-hmm. What else is on your mind? Um, that's it for now. I might uh, – if nobody else calls, then I might okay. uh, give a call. Okay. Thank you, Doug. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Right. Uh, listeners, Doug cleared the line it's available if you would like to call 866 687 7223 and uh, we would uh love to have you uh on the phone it's it's raining here so far the phone line is being durable uh for those of you that were trying to listen to the Friday program you do know that Cox cable went out um fortunately it came back in about 10 minutes uh, but then they started texting me all day that the the cable was out and they were working on it in my area. And it wasn't until yesterday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, that they sent texts out saying we finally have it fixed. Fortunately for me, once they got it back up during the show, it stayed up. So I'm crossing my fingers that it, they, they really did a decent job of fixing it. Uh, good afternoon, caller. Welcome to the space show today. Who are you? Where are you? Thank you for your call.
1: Yeah, this is John in Fort Worth.
2: Hi, John. What's on your Yeah.
1: Mind? I just wanted to well, give you a little update on things. I sent you an email the other day of the what I was talking about, if you had a chance to read it, but that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, former head of Aero, you know, the, uh, all anomaly, uh, uh, <laughs> dom- all domain anomaly resolution, also guess it's called. At any rate, he, he's put an article, uh, kind of an op-ed thing in Scientific American, which they state is his opinions only and not that of Scientific American. Oh, I think it is the opinion of Scientific American. But anyway. <laughs> but at any rate, he, he's, uh, um, basically, uh, you know, doing a basically nothing to see here thing. And largely it's, I think it, it's a, kind of an attack on the whole group of people that have been pushing, you know, the disclosure effort, you know, mainly. And it's kind of interesting that the people he's attacking are people that didn't actually report to his office, from what I can tell, you know. <laughs> At least they've said they didn't, and, and they've said, you know, and that would be people like uh, Elizondo, for example, and I guess uh, Hal Putoff and... Get Green and those people, you know, uh-huh. uh, and, and Grush also, and, and and they went directly to various other things, you know, Grush to the intelligence com- um, uh, inspector general, and um, and the others, I guess, the Senate and House committees. So um, and probably Eric Davis would fall that category too. I'm not, so it's kind of interesting to me that, and he's also responding to some of the public things. I see was a, uh, I meant to look up that guy's name again. They said the guy that has a thing on uh, on. Uh, Uh, his own kind of blog and he does research the one that reported about the 12 objects or whatever you know and and he's actually kind of attacking that kind of which i think is interesting and not and not responding to anything that anybody really did report to his um you know agency directly
2: so is he he trying to say nothing here to see or what what's he trying to do
1: Well, on the one hand, I think he is going to say that. He also announced that he's signed off on the volume one of the aero historical records report um, before he resigned and and went off to uh, to work at Oak Ridge. So. So, so it seems like I I don't. But from based on what he's talking, I don't expect any great revelations on that that will um, will reveal we found anything, so to speak. I haven't. It will be interesting. It will be interesting just to see what he actually has to say, though. Of course, I mean, there's a lot of what he covers, what he doesn't cover, and what he says about various things that may be known, and what does he have a good uh, uh, explanation? A lot of it still falls back into, you know. talking about balloons and that sort of stuff, you know, I mean that's one of the the big things and I thought that was kind of interesting though, they actually put out an article like this. You know. Of course one thing about it you'd have to note is that the stuff he's talking about is stuff that's in the public domain because the people in question have pretty much discussed things publicly, right? Right. Whereas whereas any of the rest of the stuff that might have security related to it, of course, he'd be under the same kind of obligation as anybody else that would have to go through the De, you know declassification review process and I, and the report he's talking about it presumably has been written, but it's probably going through what we'll see will be a you know a redacted version I would assume
2: well n- we're not getting any closer to the truth is out there stuff, are we It seems
1: like it's kind of a slow go I'm, <laughs> 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 it's, well, obvi- what's interesting is you know that he the, also goes into the the, the whole issue of um, of you know the um, the uh, the OS, OSAP program or something that was you know uh, that, go- that predates ATIP, you know that, back in the, with Harry Reid and all that stuff. And what's interesting is that on the other side is that uh, John Greenwald on the Black Black Vault just uh, I guess a couple of days ago released uh, did a video on on a, on a report. And I guess this is a report that went to the committee, uh, when they got in the skiff with the, the DOD. And, um, and, and I guess because it was a classified report, which, which now there's an unclassified summary has been released. And it's, um, basically apparently in 2001, because of all the hoopla, somebody ordered the sec- the, uh, the, the DOD inspector general to basically review how the DOD is handling the, the UAP issue. And and they had like a two year study or year and a half or something like that study of it, and and uh, at any rate, Greenwald who normally was kind of pinging uh, you know uh, Elizondo for for inconsistencies now is pinging them for inconsistencies which is kind of interesting, and and what he's getting into is that they are maintaining that that basically this Allsop program really didn't have anything to do with UFOs. <laughs> Of course, the people on the program have written two public v- books that were cleared by DOPSA that, that that said yes, we were working on that issue, and, and and they've stuck more to what I was referring in other earlier calls as what I call the cover story that you know this is we're looking for advanced um, aerospace capabilities that might be forty years out, kind of a threat working group kind of thing, and they, they, the DOD kind of took it that way, which is kind of funny. Interesting, or right? I want to look at it
2: well, so it's uh, going to be a long road to get anything serious out of these people
1: yeah, the cover up is still in, in force, and I guess my feeling is that that, that Patrick probably figured he 'd taken up slings and arrows, apparently he had a had a um, a, an individual that didn't agree with what he's doing show up on his porch or something, and his wife had to call the police. So um, <laughs> I guess it's time to get out of that business and get away from the cuckoos and go back to something that's pure science and have a good career out there in the private uh, in the Oak Ridge. So, any rate, um, but because um, he is a physicist uh, from I guess the University of Georgia, I guess background. So I just, uh-huh. just found that out. I guess well Oakridge is maybe it's not part of the world, and so it's an interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see what the what the next uh, shoe will, will drop, if any. I think it's still so interesting that that the you know the, the Congress apparently has had um, information that seems to disagree with this. You know, believe you take uh, Senator Rubio at face value. Because I mean, he said that yeah, we there have been confirmations of, the, of what Rush was saying, that there are supportive evidence. I you want to say it from uh, from independent sources, not directly connected to him. So I don't. We'll have to see what, who they're talking to. I guess also that'd be another. You know, are they credible or not? Or no, I, I, it's pretty. It's pretty buried, I guess, is the question. Yeah, you'd have to argue.
2: Yeah. I I just don't see how we'll ever. Get anything believable or credible that we can believe, given how convoluted it is and how many different players there are and and how they all go after each other's comments i, I don't I don't see how you ever get daylight out of any of this that may well it may be true i guess I, I, one of the
1: things I guess one of the other people that we were looking at you know is uh, you know, Chris Mellon, who's been a big advocate of this, at one time was the former head of was the uh, 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 under secretary of defense for intelligence, and he's claiming that 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 he, that he doesn't wasn't ever read into such a program, which is really fascinating to me. The people that are in high positions, if it does exist, but, but what would be useful would be an idea of just who all these people really are for sure. You know what I mean? Because that way you could have a little bit better judgment of the of these. You know. People fabricating stuff, or are they people that really might be, you know, knowledgeable? But at the same time, you know, um, the people I mentioned, you know, are all publicly known, so I don't think their statements would have to be made anonymously, right? The people that would be, more to, be more to be anonymous would be the people that still are employed in the government in high, highly sensitive positions that presumably would cease to be so pretty quickly otherwise, right?
2: I have thought about. Contacting Eric Davis because mm-hmm. he's been on the show three times about mm-hmm. about breakthrough and advanced propulsion, but right. but his his shows are straight. I mean he's not he, he's not revealing any of his classifications. In, in fact, his security classifications has never even been brought up on the show. Uh, but right. he, but he did come on the show and he did talk about uh, uh, you know that that program where everybody thought. Uh, it it was it was with the with the the cone and by the engineer in England that that de- developed it i forget what it's called and they had a group at nasa working on it with dr white and eric davis and a couple of other people mm-hmm. um, e drive or something like that what the hell was it called
1: Oh, you mean the? I mean the EM drive, the yeah, M drive, or, M, or what they called it the yeah. M drive.
2: So, so he he was part of a a group that worked on that, and he he did talk about that. But um, yeah, you know, what what's the likelihood of him saying anything of of really great significance? Because uh, the the guy knows how to talk around his security licenses, and and the, yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is no neophyte. And uh, the other guy that I would love to have on is the scientist whose name escapes me, and I, I thought he was coming on the show. He said he would, and then he quit answering my email. Uh, who's over in Austin, Texas? That used to be partners with oh, oh, Eric. Day. Oh, how Hal Putoff. Hal Putoff. Um, yeah, put off! How put off! I'd like to someday have how on the show, but uh, again, what what are the chances of really learning anything significant from these people? I, I yeah. just don't know. They're 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 not going to reveal anything that they know.
1: Well, no, I, I think that yeah, well, yeah, that <laughs> probably well, it, it looks like the the best the best information we got so far was was the stuff from from Eric Davis, but it wasn't directly released by him. It was a document that was found in Edgar Mitchell's files. Um, it may well be when somebody dies they'll leave something behind and their wife will publish it or something <laughs> and they'll say well I didn't disclose that I just found this in this spot."
2: <laughs> or, or a <laughs> mysterious email with a couple of thousand files will end up at the New York Times and the LA Times and a, a couple of other papers around the country simultaneously right uh, yeah. so uh, may, maybe that's the way the route goes anything else going on that, that you want to share with us well,
1: I would say on this idea about the you know the idea of putting some, uh, kind of a was it a kind of a shield up the the, the mess with the uh you know, the envi- the uh, you know, the giant, environment or whatever
2: yeah a giant parasols in the New york parasol. Times as of yesterday. I mean, if these guys mess around,
1: they might cause a new ice age. Then They don't really think they know what they're doing. I mean, you're playing with a delicate environment that we don't fully understand. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm a little nervous that we think we know what the climate ought to be and what we ought to do about it. Even if we agree that there is a degree of warming due to human activity, I mean, is that all bad? I mean, you know, was the climate in 1750 really the ideal
2: climate in some way? Mr. Or was it... I was going to say, listen to this. Morgan Goodwin, I don't know mm-hmm. who the gentleman is, is the executive director, now get this, of the Planetary Sunshade Foundation, a non-profit organization devoted to doing this. So they got a non-profit sunshade organization trying to to launch this or do this. Um, mm-hmm. The The foundation suggests using raw materials from space and launching solar shade ships into L1 from the moon, which would cost less than setting off from Earth. Goodwin, the executive director, uh, said, one reason sunshades haven't gained as much traction is that climate researchers have been focused quite naturally on what's happening within the Earth's atmosphere and not on space. And that we should all buy more and more electric cars. Of course, the latter is something I added. But, um, I had no idea they had a planetary sun shield.
1: Well, I mean, I guess these are added ideas if you, you know, if you really think we're facing a crisis and can't do anything else. But I, I think that, again, it just seems to me that we know enough. To, real, to make a decision to do this is also an international issue, obviously. Well, I guess maybe the U.N. would back it or something, I guess. Um, well,
2: Pete Warden and another scientist years and years and years ago uh, came up with this idea. And Pete has been on the show and has talked about it several times. And uh, in later years, he poo-pooed it and said it wasn't feasible, and he has moved on from it. I forget who his associate was that, uh, that co-authored the paper. On this mm-hmm. event, I think Pete is the is the one that put it forth, and and was the initial proponent. Now, how this new idea has evolved from Pete Warden and his co-author have suggested, I can't tell you, but um you know, I'm I'm not thinking that this is going to catch on. Fred Singer, who some of you may remember out of history, he's no longer with us, and Fred was mm-hmm. a guest on. There's another one I should have on the space show archives, Fred Singer. E. Fred yeah. Singer. So he was the original climate scientist. He pretty well started the program at the University of Virginia in the US government. He's an old mm-hmm. coup when he passed away and he's a dear friend of mine for many, many years. And he is the one who coined the idea that we should be going to Phobos um and, and not to the surface of the moon. Either of the two moons of Mars. Uh, that was that was fred's baby way 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 back when but uh fred said well if you you really want to cool the earth blow off a couple of nukes strategically located around the earth and, and uh let the earth cool a little bit <laughs> so well, volcanic eruptions
1: have been known to do that, and, and you know, there, are, there are the possibilities that calderos would happen at some point, whether here. I understand there's actually one also under Rome, basically.
2: Yeah, but he, he was kind of joking and said, we'll just create a little short-term nuclear winter and cool it down, and no big deal. So um, Fred was being sarcastic, of course. But um, there, there have been other ideas other than putting a, giant umbrella or parasol. I think of a parasol, uh, a woman parading down the Champs-Élysées in in Paris on Easter Sunday, you know, in in all the outfit with a parasol. So uh, anyway, that's just an image I have. Uh, I don't think much of it. Um, I can't link the article on the Mm -hmm. blog because it's behind a paywall. And uh, my brother was able to send it to me, but it it only allowed me to access uh, tries to get to it, and I've used both of those up. So uh, if I send the link to someone else, it'll ask for registration and paywall information and stuff. But maybe someone can find it. The title, again, is Could a Giant Parasol in Outer Space Help Solve the Climate Crisis?, and Charles Lurio called it to my attention yesterday afternoon because I'm not a normal regular reader of the New York Times. Uh, but um, um, I guess I could try to scan it if I had the time and then you know, put the PDF of the scan up on the, on the website, but boy, I don't know that I have the time to do that. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, um, anything else or we'll move on? Let's move on and see if somebody else is going to call in. Thank you, John uh listener, you too can uh, give us a call on any topic that you would like. Our toll-free number, 866-687-7223. And if you want to send an email to us, Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E, at com. I'm happy to um, take and read your email. And we do have an email from Chuck and Chuck is San Antonio, Texas and he says um I would like to know how I can get on a space show program to talk about some of my theories that I've been working on in excuse me in physics and astrophysics for the last 50 years uh, uh please tell me uh, I listen from time to time and uh I'm hoping that you can tell me how to be a guest on your show uh so I can display and present my theories so uh chuck um here's what here's here's what you would need to do so number one, we don't typically accept invites from self invited people. This goes back to the start of the space show when I did take self invited guests. And I, I got burned, not, not in a bad way, but just by having really, really garbage, silly, fringe, crazy ideas put forth on the space show. And I didn't want the program to be known for that. So no self-invited guests. However, um, you're welcome, instead of emailing like you just did, calling an open line show and telling us about what you want to do if you had a full-length show. If, if you have a, a theory of this or that or the other, you've got 10 minutes, maybe 12 minutes. Uh, if you're a good talker, maybe 15 minutes to put your theory out there. If you can really spin a good yarn, uh, maybe a listener will call in and want to talk to you, and I'll patch them in to you. But, you, you know, the way you do it is to call an open line show. And they're usually on Sundays, almost exclusively on Sundays. They appear on the newsletters. They appear on the email newsletter I send out Monday morning. They appear on the website newsletter. And they appear on the upcoming show menu. So if you don't follow the show, if you don't listen to the show, if you don't get the email newsletter, and you just want to come on and use our platform, to tell us how wonderful you are because you now have the theory of everything, well, guess what? You're not going to get on the show. Uh, But if you listen to the show, if you know when the open lines programs are, and I just told you how they're publicized, and you called us instead of uh, sending this email, we would have talked to you. We, We wouldn't have laughed at you. We wouldn't have treated you poorly we treated you with respect, uh, even if you have the most Mickey Mouse and lame theory of everything. Uh, may- maybe your theory of everything came from Barbie land. How about that? that- that'd probably be pretty far out there. So um, that's the way you do it. Uh, now, short of that, you get on the show because people follow your work. They know of you and they email me or call me up and Say, David, you ought to have George Blow on the show. Uh, I've seen his TED Talk. I've read his work. He delivered it at Mars Society. He delivered a paper at Space Frontier Foundation where he did this or that or the other, and he's pretty interesting. So um, that's how you do it, Chuck, and uh, I appreciate your email. And um, if you've, you've really got a, a great theory or something to talk about, call us on an open line show. Uh, we do have a caller waiting. Um, well, the caller hung up. Uh, so wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. Maybe the caller didn't hang up. Um, yep, caller hung up. So uh, caller uh, who called the open line show, if you want to call us again, it is 866-687-7223. For all I know, it could have been a spam call. And, uh, you know, wanting to sell me Medicare. And when I put them on hold, they hung up. Because they use RoboDialer. But anyway, if you are the caller and, uh, you want to get through to us, the toll-free number is available right now. 1-866-687-7223. Let's see, I, I have a note from John, uh, who says, um, have him send his theory or any papers he's published to the advisory board, and we will decide if it has merit. So I send to the advisory board. Never, never, never would I give out the advisory board email to people at large. But uh, when I send questionable stuff, when I get questionable stuff, I'm the one, John, who sends it to you guys. And some of it I send for entertainment purposes on my part, which is probably not very nice. But... I'm just being transparent, and uh, some of it, uh, I have been overridden by people who know far more than I do, which is why they're on the advisory board, and I do a 180 and invite people to the show. So that's the path to the show. Uh, Hi, caller. Welcome to the program today. Who are you? Where are you, please?
4: Hi. uh, This is Darren
5: out in Lebanon, Oregon.
2: How... How are you today?
5: Oh, great. I've been listening for a long time, and I came across an article I thought might be really interesting to people because I've never heard anybody talk about it. Um I found this on spaceweather.com and they link to ARXIV.org. The title of the paper is Potential Perturbations of the Ionosphere by Mega Constellations and Corresponding Artificial Reentry Plasma Dust. Quite a title, but Um, I will try to summarize this. I'm not a plasma physicist, so I'm hoping maybe another caller will know more about this. But basically, it's talking about constellations like uh, SpaceX Starlink satellites and the result of them entering the atmosphere again. Um, This is from a plasma physicist, Ph.D. student in the University of Iceland, and she's basically saying that, when the satellites are entering orbit, they're creating a cloud of ionized metallic particles in the ionosphere that might actually be having a potential impact on the magnetosphere in the future. Um, and I don't know what this is called. So he's referring to some information that was um, from one of the NASA sounding rockets or something, looking at the upper atmosphere, and they're looking at something called the Debye length, which. I don't know what this means, but I, from what I gather, it's the measurement of plasma and its effect or the distance of its effect. <laughs> Basically, what she's saying is that with the number of projected satellites, um, from these mega constellations in low orbit that are entering the atmosphere, we could potentially clog the upper atmosphere with enough ionized particle that we start to actually block the magnetosphere i don 't know i um it's the only type I've ever seen like this, but it's kind of interesting because okay. the amount of projected debris that's going to be falling in is quite crazy with these uh, satellites that only last what, five years or something before they come back to the earth <laughs> i don't never heard anybody talk about this
2: well you and you you probably won't for very good reason, but look, this is above my my pay grade, but not above <laughs> Same the
0: pay
5: with mine
2: grade. but <laughs> here's what i need I need you to email me. Or you can post it on the blog either way, but at least yeah. email me the name of the paper, the author, and if you have the link, uh yeah, the I do. paper. Then and I'll post it on the blog for people to um uh you know, to opine on it and uh, yeah, I I suspect it's more for people who Think that launching rockets is is bad for the environment and is going to destroy Earth and, and have extreme positions. It sounds to me like it's more of that. But again, it I, could be. I it's way above my payload and I don't know. <laughs> but I I will research it and I will find out what people think. But there are probably our listeners to this show who have a lot more expertise on. What goes on in the upper atmosphere with rockets and reentry? So their stuff is are, is going to burn up in the atmosphere. Right. So, so um, um, you know, I I just I I suspect there's not a whole lot to it. But uh, also, Iceland has a particular point of view because of where they're located and some of the geographic and kinds of issues and volcanic and other issues that they have
5: there. Oh, I know. I was just there in uh, December, actually. <laughs> um,
2: what did you th- What did you think of it? I mean, don't they have a a volcano that's erupting or something on Iceland?
5: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it was erupting um, the night that I left. It started erupting uh, when I got there. It had pretty much finished, <laughs> but it's a it's a volcanic system that's going to be active for the foreseeable future. Um, I love Iceland. Though. Fantastic place to visit. Great food. Great people. Cold.
2: <laughs> I I I've never been there, but I would I would love to go there and um, yeah. send send me the information and uh, yeah, I, I, I promise you, well, uh, I'll, I'll get some like information that, on it.
5: Yeah, I'm just a farmer. I don't know anything about plasma physics. It just sounded really interesting. <laughs> It was just well, a, I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe not. But um, if somebody knows something about plasma physics and can, you know, chime in on this, that'd be awesome. But I will send you that paper tonight.
2: Okay. What are you growing as a farmer?
5: Um. So I'm growing cider, uh, cider apples, and cider pears for hard cider production.
2: We have another farmer who listens to the show from little renfro Oklahoma. That's, that's what he says. His name is Marshall. Oh, uh, no. And he grows yeah. wheat and some things that are more typical for the Great Plains area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing I'm growing are raspberries. So Everybody uh, loves raspberries. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, do send it, and I'll post it to yeah. the blog. And uh, uh, I appreciate your call very much.
5: Yeah,
2: thanks. All okay. right. I'll send that away. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bye. Um listeners if any of you listening uh find the article and know anything at all about this and you want to uh say something about it on today's show then uh by all means do so. Give us a call. Uh as soon as I get his email, I'll post it on the blog, but as he said he may not be able to send it till this evening. Um Good afternoon, caller. Welcome to the show. Who are you? Where are you, please?
0: Hey, David. It's John in Fremont, California.
2: Hi there. Do you know anything about uh, that that paper or that idea?
0: No. uh, No, I don't. So, yeah, it would be interesting to check it out and and see see what they have to say. Um, So, uh, my wife subscribes to the New York Times. Okay. So she, she saw that article oh. and mentioned it. She mentioned it to me and I just said, I, I've already heard about this. Um, it, uh, I think, you know, it, it's going to be a popular idea in the New York Times, I'm sure. Um, so, uh, if you want, I can, I can, um, scan it and, and post it, but is that, is that going to be legal to, uh, uh, Attach that to your blog.
2: I have. Uh, I have no. I, I. I have no idea. I know people put links up all the time, but because everything with the New York Times, as you know, is behind a paywall, I. I don't know if you can scan it and give their. Give their material away. I. I honestly, it may not be legal. I don't know, and the New York Times may enforce it. I know. I have been busted. By the copyright picture police and fined $250 plus $500 in legal fees for using a guest picture that the guest himself sent me, but it was not copyright free, and I did not have permission to use the picture, and the guest did not have permission to use the picture and to give it out to people. And when I went to the guest, he was, of course, totally clueless of the whole thing. Uh, and uh, I had to pay a $250 fine. I think it was five or $600 in legal fees. So I'm very sensitive, which is why you're not seeing very many pictures anymore of guests on the uh, on the blog uh, or on the guest uh, guest page for the space show, is that they can't guarantee me it's copyright free. I'm not using their picture. End of story. Uh, so I don't know, John, if. Uh, if there's a URL and you can access it, we could put the URL up. I know that, but I don't. I don't know if we can scan their work and 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 put it up. Um, I don't know the answer to that. It may it may not be legal, and they might have the New York Times police find it and and bust our chops for it, like the copyright photo police. I don't. know. Maybe yeah. someone else. Maybe one of the lawyers listening to the show would, would know more about that or not. But um, why don't you put it on your blog <laughs> and then give us the link to your blog. Uh,
0: well, I, I don't put things up that are on a paywall. I like people to be able to access, so I only post to open access articles.
2: Yeah, well, that's probably so, a smart move. So... Um, um, uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, listeners, I can give you the, the, the title and the link to the thing, but unless you have a subscription to the New York Times, I think you can join and do an e-subscription to the New York Times and you get two free articles a month or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but, um, you, you might be able to, to do something like that. But I don't think we should put a scanned article from behind a paywall on the blog. I just don't know if that's um, asking for a problem or not.
0: It's asking for a problem, so let's not.
2: Yeah, so so, so um, again, I can put the name of the article, Could a Giant Parasol in Outer Space Help Solve the Climate Crisis? The author is Kara Buckley, and I don't mind putting that information on the blog. Uh, and it's in yesterday's New York Times it's on the front page uh, but um they do, they use a paywall and um so it's a problem to 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 violate that anyway what do you think of the article did you think there was anything to it
0: i didn't read it because i've already i already know the, what's what's going on there so i mean It's the same the same issues that we have with space solar power. I mean, you got to you got to launch all this stuff up there, and you got to pay for it. And who's gonna who's gonna um, finance it? And um, you know. So here. same old
2: same old. Same old. <laughs> here, I'll I'll read this from from the article's four pages that my brother sent me. To block the necessary amount of solar radiation, the shade would need to be about a million square miles, roughly the size of Argentina. Dr. Rosen said so. Dr. Yoram Rosen of the Technion, Asher Space Research of of Israel has evaluated this thing too. Um, uh, shade that would have to be it would have to weigh at least two point five million tons too heavy to launch into space, so you can figure out how many starship launches Hey doug, if you 're still listening, how many starship launches to launch two point five million ton uh, and a million square miles of sunshade up to wherever they 're going to put this? The project would have to involve a series of smaller shades. They would not completely block the sun's light, but would rather call, cast slightly diffuse shade over the earth. His team would be ready. Of course he would be ready because you can imagine the grant he would get or the, or the contract he would get. His team would be ready to design a prototype shade of 100 square feet and is seeking 10 to 20 million dollars to fund the demo. We can show the world, look, there is a working solution. Take it, and increase it to the necessary size," he said.
0: So, help. yeah, well, this fits in with all the uh, geoengineering solutions to to climate change, and and uh, this has been around a while, like you said. So it was it was nothing new to me. So I didn't I didn't really pursue it.
2: Okay, um, well, so. thanks for the information, and uh, <laughs> uh, listeners, I'm sorry I'm not going to put the article up because it is behind a paywall, but. Uh, But you can go find it, and and, uh, I think you can subscribe to the New York Times, and you get two free downloads a a month just by giving them your email address. So um, what else is on your mind?
0: So the reason I called is uh, I wanted to um, talk about my my latest post on on my blog. Um, It's titled Economic Benefits from Space Mining. And, uh, this, uh, uh, leads off with a, a recent paper, um, uh, the, in the proceedings of the, um, uh, uh God, the American, um, God, PMF, PMAF, whatever that is. Uh, it's it, their, um, uh, proceedings of the, um, um, American Society of uh, Um God I I, I, I I'm drawing a blank here. P N A S. National Academy of Sciences.
2: I'm okay.
0: Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So um uh is that a typo? Oh yeah it is a typo. I gotta fix that. Um, so uh the the article is doing a trade study comparing um, Uh, all of the industry and um, economic activity that's uh, surrounding the clean energy transition um, to uh, net zero by the the middle of the century. Uh, And specifically, it focuses on all the metals that are going to have to be mined here on Earth. And it looks at the economic impacts uh, and environmental impacts and weighs that against getting the um, the materials from space, uh specifically the asteroids. And so uh it's uh I think an interesting analysis that uh makes the point that um, the reduction in cost, due to environmental damage to our planet's biosphere, may may be worth the investment in in asteroid mining. So, you know, um, the the Biden administration has supported, um, you know, these these huge um, uh, uh, subsidies on uh, um, EVs and and electric cars, and and uh, so. Uh, there was a, a report that came out uh, from the International Energy Agency called The Role of Critical Materials in Clean Energy Transition. And uh, this is back in, in, in 2021. I've linked to it in, in my blog post. And uh, it, it, it says that the sourcing of these materials will will have a huge environmental impact. I mean, the, the amount of lithium that's needed is 4,200% uh, more than, than uh, what's being produced right now to support all of the EVs that are going to be needed, and all the batteries and clean energy systems. Uh, and so uh, right now, we have insufficient mining capability in the world to support this, this demand. And so the capacity will have to be ramped up to huge levels, which will have Serious environmental and economic impacts, and it's just not the environment. It's it's uh, you know some of these methods for mining in 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 some of these countries is, is not the best. So, um, this, you know, if we ignore nuclear power, which we shouldn't, uh, if we ignore fusion, which we shouldn't, uh, if we ignore space solar power, which we shouldn't, then all these other renewable uh, technologies are, are going to have a huge impact. And it's, it's, the article is making the point that it, it it might be worth it to get some of these materials from asteroids. Um, there's another article I wanted to mention in the same post by uh, Matthew Weinzerl, uh, who's been on the show before. Uh huh. He's the econ- economist from Harvard, I believe.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, Matt.
0: And, um, he makes the the case for an expanding space economy being a solution to secular stagnation in uh the economy, and this is what uh some some uh economist thinks that that's happening in our economy right now where <laughs> if, if if the economy is operating below capacity even when it appears to be booming and and so um he has a paper on that, and I link to that in the article. Um, and then uh, there's, there was a paper a, a few years back uh, making the case for um, uh, mining on Mars uh, and an economy based on on, on that. And and uh, now there's been a recent discovery. Have you have you seen? the recent discovery where there's a massive amount of subsurface water, more than they had expected uh-huh. uh, near, the equator of, near the equator of Mars. And that the Mars Express um, uh, spacecraft has a radar image of that that was in the news recently. And so um, that could really contribute to the uh, economic benefits on Mars. So um, anyway, uh, I will post this on your blog, uh, a link to it, Okay. And um, that's that's all I had. So um, great talking to you. Right. And uh, let's see if someone else wants to call in.
2: Okay, thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. Um, okay, listener Michael. Listener uh, posted the article that uh, Garen from uh, the farmer in Oregon spoke about in in terms of uh, of uh, Starlink's reentering. Potential perturbation of the ionosphere by mega constellations and corresponding artificial Reentry uh, dust, uh, it's by S. Salter, it's by S. Salter Hunt, uh, so Michael posted that on the blog, and, uh, our caller who brought this article to our attention, Garen LaRue, uh, did send me the link to the article. And, uh, so it's the same article. And, uh, there's also a summary of it at spaceweather.com. So after the show, I'll, um I'll reply to Michael listener's post with the summary of the article from uh, spaceweather.com. I'll get the link to that and, and I'll, I'll post it. But the information is now on our blog if you care to review it. And see if it makes any sense to you. Uh, we have another caller. Good afternoon, caller. Welcome to the show. Who are you? Where are you, please? Hey, it's Charles Borio in Boston. Hi, Charles. How you doing? I'm um, uh, plugging along here,
4: and um, <clears throat> there were a number of topics that have come up that I wanted to make a few, say a few words about. Um, and first of all, I think you were you were just talking about this business of the satellite uh, uh, materials being deposited in the atmosphere. I, I, I missed a little detail. You were talking about the reference to that. Is that correct? The,
2: well, uh, a paper from a person in Iceland suggests that, and, and that it might be uh, from Starlink and others damaging the okay. uh, the upper, upper atmosphere.
4: You know, you can't win, David, because, uh, <laughs> if you want to keep the satellites up there, you know, they become an obstacle or a, a cause, uh, a, you know, uh, problem, other problems. And then if they want to, you know, uh, like SpaceX, I recall was saying, hey, we're going to be dropping these things down and replacing them with more advanced versions all the time. So we won't get, you know, over. You know, uh, 700,000 up there, including, you know, version one, <laughs> you no know, true version 100, you know. Uh, and so that was the, you know, uh, along with the point is that they need to be in low orbit. Uh, um, that you know, the, they were, av- they were sort of saying, well, hey, you know, we're, we're going to be dumping them and, and, and they won't be, you know, hazards, therefore. So in, in this game, there's always seemed to be someone who's saying, uh, the, uh, whatever space project you want to do is impossible. Uh, and, and, at a, at a technical level, at a, whatever level it's, it's, it, 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 I mean, at certain levels that, that, you know, that certainly needs to be examined, uh, if they have a problem, but I'm afraid things, uh, I, I, I I've seen the script before is what I'm saying. And similarly with the uh, business of the sunshade, uh, I think you said something about, or your caller said something about, a million me- uh, metric tons needing to be l- listed according well, I to just, that.
2: I read the article. I read a paragraph out of the article, and that, right. that's what it
4: right. says. Right, right. No, I, I I'm, I'm I, I know that. I'm just saying that. I, I'm, I'm just trying to recollect. Uh, uh, that was what re- reminded me of it was when your caller was, um, now, I was just <clears throat> doing uh, recently uh, compiling some of the comments that Elon has made, and, and back at the um, at his uh, update session on the 12th of January at, at the Starbase, he said, you know, the, the Mars colony needs 1 million metric tons on the surface of Mars. Okay. That, oh, that's not a quote from him. That's me taking him from. In other words, uh, it, 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 you have to put up actually uh, two hundred thousand metric tons. land there's two hundred thousand metric tons landed on Mars um, for each million tons put into Earth orbit, approximately. So you have to put in about five million metric tons to Earth orbit to get. The amount that he believes is necessary to have a, a a self-sustaining colony on Mars. Now, going back to the to the, the the sun blocking thing, I mean, I am very skeptical when people come up with uh things saying that you know this thing would be impossible to launch because it would necessarily, you know, I I've seen many times when people have gone back to the most simple simpleton type way of of trying to uh, uh, estimate mass from something, you know, 50 years ago or from uh, and NASA's launch costs during the shuttle era or NASA's launch costs, you know, pre-SpaceX or, you know. So, I mean, people will, will reach for what they think is authoritative and what they think is authoritative is often past stuff that, that doesn't hold any water anymore, so I'm not arguing either for or against the Shade thing. At the, in this context, I'm just saying I'm dubious about the the, the mass. <clears throat> and and even if it were, um, it, it sounds like what Elon's talking about for Mars, it would be um, might be comparable. <clears throat> um, now the third thing, and this is the thing that that. Uh, Really gets into a, a whole, a larger question of, um, you know, how um can, can uh, uh, Starship advance at the pace that it needs to advance. Uh, there are there's a set of rules that allow them to launch presently launch up to ten times a year. That was the agreement with the FAA, Uh, and uh, they're building a second tower there. My is that they that they they want they're trying to focus uh, the basic R and D there and development for various systems, and then uh, you know move over to KSC because they're moving tower pieces over from Kennedy or or from the Air Force in Florida to, to, uh, star uh, Starbase. Um, so that's the whole thing of what happened on February 2nd, which is that, uh, you know, this will probably be dismissed. I hope it will. But, uh, way back before the, the first, uh, test flight, a bunch of groups, uh, you know, uh protested the uh, the county that uh, uh spaceX would fly from there uh you know to you know, could make spaceflight launches that 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 led to the closure of the Boca Chica base beach i'm sorry and then uh the the local judge said you know they had no standing. The people who were protesting that to say that they couldn't do those launches, and by the way, the original legislation was was uh, apparently um, uh, came out of the, uh, the state legislator that who uh, has since passed away, and uh, and that would have uh, allowed originally beach closures for up to twelve falcons when when Elon was still talking about doing falcons from that back in 2013. So, okay, what's happened is the the local judge had had dismissed the protest by a number of uh, self, self-described environmental and local groups um, saying that uh, they, they're flying illegally, basically, uh, and um, <clears throat> they they went to the next level of courts which has uh, overruled the local court. In Campbell County, 13th Court of Appeals, and, uh, um, and dismissed the district court. And, uh, basically, uh, now they're, you know, the, the groups that are suing say that, that this statute that allowing the closure of the beaches for rockets is not, uh, constitutional because people are supposed to have access to the beaches in Texas. Um, now here's, here's a, so, so now they can go on and try to, you know, create, have a, have a, 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 a literal court case <laughs> trying this thing out. But, you know, if you take a look at these groups, um, this article that I'm reading, which came out of Texas Public Radio, I'm, I'm sorry to go on and off, letting you have a word in here, but it, it, I think it's, it, it's uh, this is particularly telling. Um, um, a, a member of one of the groups, Save RGV, uh, claims that all, already the launches have affected Boca Chica Beach irreparably. Quote: "There ne- will never ever be anything like it again." And the powers that be have restricted our access egregiously and poisoned this one of a kind biodiverse system. It's a true crime against the environment and uh, close quote. Uh, as if the first, (laughs) you know, the trial launch, number one, had permanently destroyed the the, the ecosystem when all the, all the, all the people looked at it said, no, it had not. It hadn't even particularly affected it. And, and yet they, they go in and, and shout, Various levels of court, and you know this is the kind of thing that's happened with a lot of activity in this country uh, i think uh, it's not just this but um i, I you know it, it is very frustrating for me when i you know the progress that has been made for uh starship being uh, people coming after it with with bogus. Really bogus
2: argument. so so what's the current status of of all of this litigation? Is SpaceX concerned? Is it something that could really derail starship or is it nonsense
4: i don't know how concerned spacex is i I think that they're i'm pretty sure they're frustrated with with this sort of uh, junk and uh, it mentions here that uh, <clears throat> you know it's getting. That, that, that the protests get you know, uh, a you know a fair amount of publicity at times, and and you know uh, SpaceX needs to put more uh, resources in, into countering that. Now it's a free country; people can you know try to go and <clears throat> prevent things. But when they say speak nonsense, I I don't know what you can say. I'm, let me let me just check one other thing here. Um, it, um, this, this, the current status at the end is that, uh, um, okay, uh, well, mm, okay, so, so I think one of the, uh, attorneys, uh, uh, representing one of the, anti large groups saying uh, it's not going to be a lengthy trial in the traditional sense, uh, but it is technically a trial, um, and legal arguments about why the court should understand the law is not consistent with our constitutional rights. That is the law that was that was passed in 2013, under which the county <clears throat> makes uh, goes down the the uh, the beaches and the highway there. So I have no idea, really, what you know. Whether this is, you know, there's the, the next level of courts, obviously, and and uh it says here that the Cameron County and the state can can still appeal, still appeal the core uh, the uh, case to the Texas Supreme Court. But that's where it goes now. If they
2: want to avoid a trial, apparently. Well. It, and there's no information if this is going to delay any of the demo tests or anything like that yet? You don't well, I mean, they're already, they're already
4: restricted at the moment to 10 flights a year. They've got a lot of people. They've got a lot of supporters who love to come down and watch the thing slide, but they also have a lot of um, – they also have a certain number of local, uh, uh, you know, uh, folks who um, – consider it the devil's work, more or less, (laughs) and it's destroying the environment. Now, I don't know anything about what Brownsville was like before SpaceX came in, but I know that they have been read things where it said, you know, uh, that the local economy was was greatly uh, improved with their presence uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, Opportunities and the, and the, uh and, uh, and, uh, throughout. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of rumpiness about things, but these, I wish I, I wish I could, uh, you know, so I would, I would argue that, 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 that they, that probably they should be bringing in people who are saying, well, you know, it's SpaceX has been, it's been the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, for our our, our, our city and our, our county, because I'm sure that there are plenty of those people out there.
2: Uh, Charles, you're cutting up pretty badly, so um, can you can you wrap it up, or if you have something else, let's get to it real quickly, because I don't think your line's going to be clearer much longer. Okay, well, uh, I I just want to say that... Uh,
4: yeah. Putting this aside, the last topic aside for a moment, I think we're going to have a very exciting third launch, and I think it will be coming quite soon as launched, and it will make orbit, I, I suspect, it's a, a, a better than 75% chance, is my estimate.
2: Okay. Charles, thanks for your news, and thanks yesterday for your call and bringing to my attention uh, the sunshade uh, and this uh, Issue that you're talking about right now, and uh, we yeah. we will obviously stay in touch. So Charles, I appreciate it. Thank you for your call. Yeah. Uh, so listeners, uh, I understand his phone line was really bad, and it, it was not easy for me to understand him. Uh, I don't know if it came across to you better. I'm listening through headphones, uh, but um, sometimes it's worth it to put up with a rough phone call because of the content and i had talked to charles yesterday i knew he was going to call in and i knew the information he had to share with us he did not share all of it and i I guess that's because he didn't feel comfortable in revealing his sources as a good journalist um but uh, it was important and um, i wasn't going to call a halt to it because his phone line was choppy but i i am aware of it and um uh, his phone line is always choppy. He doesn't have great cell service, uh, and that's what he has. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, we do have a caller uh, calling again. Uh, hi, caller. Welcome to the program. Who are you? Where are you, please?
6: Hi, David. It's Michael listener in New Hampshire.
2: Hi. Right. Thanks for that article.
6: Yes, you're welcome. Um, I'm just chiming in on, on on Charles' comment there on what's going, down, going on in Texas, and so maybe I can... Uh, clarify what, what, what's happening. Now, there, there's this group called Save RGV, which is an environmental group that is prolific in a lot of these environmental lawsuits, and including against uh, SpaceX. And basically, they were, they, uh, last, a couple of years ago, they were trying to sue, um, to actually gain access to the public beaches. Now, in the, in the Texas Constitution, there is actually a constitutional right for public access to the beaches and what they were saying is that when, space, that when when these beaches are closed off and the access is closed off for SpaceX activities that's basically unconstitutional a, a, a court in the district where, where Boca rica is basically ruled that these that, that there was no that what they didn't they didn't have standing to actually sue to for for, for this access in other words they, when, I, when I talk about judicial standing, I mean that basically you don't have a, you, you don't have a right to come in and actually file a grievance because you really you don't have any record, any um, position to a certain injury. So basically, the, what happened at the, the, the local level was no, you don't have standing. That's it, and that's all the judge said. They didn't really didn't really elaborate. So. What Save RGV did is they brought up to the Texas Supreme Court and basically, in in so many words, they basically asserted, hey, we have a constitutional right to standing, we want you to agree with us. And just recently, the Texas Supreme Court, they agreed, you do have standing. So what does that mean? It means now that they have have been ruled to have standing, they're going to go back down to the local level and they're going to talk about public access to the beaches. So that's basically... That's a very simplified version of what, what was, what's happening down there.
2: Is it a big deal in your opinion? Uh, it's a it's a, it's a big it's a big deal in the sense that
6: this I think this is more, you know, local lawfare by you know environmental groups you know working against the commercial space industry. Um, is it a big deal for SpaceX? Uh, I'm not in a position to say, but you know, again, understand what the, the purpose of Boca Rica is not for it's not a a spaceport to do multiple launches it 's more on the long, uh, lines of a test facility I mean once, once once starship actually gets developed, most of those launches are going to be taking place at the Cape, not at Boca Rica. Boca Rica is basically from my, my understanding is, is testing development, etc., not an actual commercial launch facility where they 're going to be launching payloads into, into orbit so whether it 's a big deal or not i 'm not in a position to say um, spacex obviously thinks it is because they're you know they're, they're working against it but i think what they're working for is the ability to close those beaches off when 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 they're performing these activities
2: well it's um probably overall not good but um it's uh, a lot of diversion of resources and and money and stuff from spacex to deal with it and um I guess it's just uh, the nature of doing business in today's world.
6: Well, I mean, they're, they're used to. I mean, they've they've sued You know, they've been involved in lawsuits uh, over other things. I mean, so it's pretty much you know par for the course. They had they have good lawyers and uh, they know how to litigate these things. Um, it's 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 basically the modus operandi. You know, especially with you know the environmental groups nowadays, really being the. Uh, in my opinion, the impediment to a lot of spaceport development.
2: And I think that's going to come down and bite us in the butt real hard in the next decade or so. Probably. Thank you for sending that uh, article, by the way. Did you get a chance to yeah. read it? Do you think there's anything to it? I didn't read it. I
6: looked at you. I, I have a good gist of what, it, what, it, what it's about. Um, it's and I, I think I want to emphasize that this is this is basically a hypothesis. This is a fact. I posted this on my LinkedIn account, and one commentator jumped in and said, "Oh, this is something. This is direct evidence. You know that the mega constellations are harmful. The regulators have got to know about this." And I was quick to point out, "This is a hypothesis. This is a theory that hasn't even been tested yet." Um, so if there's really there's very if this were put in front of a judge, they look at it and say. I'm not, you know, you can't prove to me that this is actually a harm. In other words, this is just speculative. You're speculating now that this is a harm. You haven't shown me any direct evidence that it is. So I'm, I'm taking it with a huge grain of salt. Um, you know, obviously they'll, they'll do some studies on it, so they'll probably get some grant money for it to, to do a study on it. Um, is it a good or bad thing? I don't know. It's always good. I think it's a good thing to know you know, how these things affect it. But, I mean, at, at the same time, if if it's just, you know, there to get your name out there or just to cause trouble, I mean, then it's not a good thing.
2: Okay. All right. Any, anything else? Uh, no, nothing right now, but uh, Happy New Year. I, we, we, I don't think we've talked since the uh, first of the year, so Happy New Year. You too, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Michael. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, listeners, we're coming up on... Um, our 90-minute mark. Actually, we have passed our 90-minute mark, uh, so if you uh, want to quickly get in a, a call or you uh, – uh, let's see. Uh, hold on a minute. Lurio says, the groups went to the district court, which overruled the Cameron County judge. Cameron County may now go to the Supreme Court. So Lurio just sent that in. Anyway – if you have a call uh, and you would like to get in on today's open lines program, it is eight six 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 866-687-7223. And if you have a comment that works just as well by email, you're welcome to use that. And it is Dr. Space D R S P A C E at thespaceshow.com. dot com. And uh, there's still time. We would like to hear uh from you uh not just on the issues that have come up today but on other issues going on in the in the space community uh both here maybe overseas uh for example for those of you that heard Peter's show a week ago on Sunday he signed and started a petition in the great in great britain to get um, the uk to uh work for and enable SpaceX Starship launches there, and when we questioned him about that, he said, well, if if Musk is even going to come close to the number of launches and people that he wants to get to Mars, he's going to have to do launches in many more places, much more frequently than the Cape and Boca Chica, so why not launch from Great Britain? So, he signed a petition, they have so many... Weeks, I think it is, where they have to give a reply. That doesn't mean they have to put into policy the essence of the petition, but they have to reply. He said you don't have to be a citizen to reply to the petition, but you do have to have a U.K. address. So um, those of us living on this side of the pond, if if we wanted to sign the petition – ...and support the UK uh, making itself available for Starship launches, we could not do so because we don't have a UK address. But if you also had an apartment in the UK or you spent time with family members or something like that there in the UK, they could sign the petition. So that uh is interesting. I don't know how to get access to the petition, but I can get in touch with Peter... If any of you uh, are interested and have a UK address where you have someone in the UK that you uh, want to call this attention to them so that they can sign it and circulate it with their friends. So uh, that came up on last Sunday's show. See, we just got an email. Let's see if it's relevant. Um, so um, Michael listener who had just called, just posted on the blog an article uh, relevant to uh, what Charles Lurio and a few of you have been talking about uh, in terms of Boca It's in the San Antonio Express News. Environmental native groups win appeal in suit regarding SpaceX beach disclosures. An appellate ruling reverses a lower court decision that said the groups lacked standing to bring a lawsuit alleging such beach closures go against the Texas Constitution. So this was dated February 2nd of this year. So Michael posted that on the blog, so all of you can uh, access that article and, uh, and get to it. Um, waiting to see if anybody else wants to uh, give us a call. Uh, again, it is eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three and if you want to do uh an email it is four one five excuse me sorry about that doctor space d r s p a c e at the dot com and it doesn 't look like we 're getting any more traffic so um, i guess maybe we've uh, open-lined it to the max for today. Um, Las Vegas is hosting the Super Bowl next weekend. I will not be here to enjoy all of the great traffic that's going to result from it, Uh, but uh, I will be in Los Angeles, as I said earlier, and uh, I probably will watch the the game. I I still like the 49ers, so we'll see what happens uh, with that. President Biden, I believe, is either in Las Vegas at this time or will be here sometime today or tomorrow in advance of our election on Tuesday. Uh, I'm sure he won't be in any areas of town where I live or frequent, uh, but uh he will be here for the campaigning. So that jams up the airspace and traffic as well. I always hate to be somewhere where the president or the vice president comes because of what it does to air traffic and motorcades and all of that. Uh, and the, yeah, if you get caught in it or if you're trying to go from point A to point B and uh, the motorcade is in that route, good luck to you. So um, I guess that's it. So I, I think this was a, a very good um, open line show. And uh, I was hoping it might go a little longer, but nobody seems to uh, be available uh, at this point going forward, so we'll wind it up so check the schedule for the eighteenth because, as I said it, uh, it may not be another open line show, but um, i'll i'll decide and put it in the schedule. Uh, uh, the weekend I, I leave for LA because I will publish the newspapers as u- the newsletters as usual. Uh, I hope everybody has a terrific rest of the weekend. There is some weekend left. Uh, do keep looking up as always. Let's see if this is another, uh, space show email or just, uh, a normal email, not just normal span. Uh, actually, Peter Haig, uh it's a great site, Plutocracy. He just posted a new article um, uh, that uh, I haven't read yet. It just came in. But for those of you that subscribe to Peter's uh, planetocracy on Substack, uh, his latest article is, If Skylab Had Not Been Canceled. People often wonder what would have happened if Apollo had not been canceled. But what if America's first space station program had continued after 1974? I delve into the what-if scenario in this post. And this is from February 4th, so this is brand new. Peter posts some really good stuff. And if you're not following him, I think you should be. Planetocracy, P-L-A-N-E-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y at substack.com. And it's Dr. Peter Haig, H-A-G-U-E. Well, that's it for this Sunday, listeners. Again, thank you for your calls. Thank you for your email. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Stay healthy, stay safe, and do keep looking up. Goodbye from David and The Space Show.